Conflict is awful. It's terrible when people cannot get along. And it's terrible when perhaps you find yourself as a part of a family where conflict has been a history of your family. And when you find something that gives you some joy and some happiness because you realize that broken relationships have been repaired. There's a lot of joy, there's a lot of happiness, and when you hear of a family that has had that kind of history, and you hear that things are now good, you rejoice. This morning we're going to talk about good news justified by faith. We're going to study Galatians chapter 3. And you realize that man has been at odds with God because of his sinful life. He's been separated from God. But the good news is, is that God loves man. He seeks to reconcile with man. And he offers a way for things to be repaired. And that's a justification by faith. I want to begin by looking at chapter 3, verse 1, and... I really would like to ask you look at this in your Bibles. I'm fixing to put it on screen for you. And then we're going to notice a few details about this verse. Oh, foolish Galatians! Who bewitched you before whose, that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Now, when you hear those words, I'd like for you to imagine a preacher beginning a lesson. Well, I guess he just did. <laughs> with those words. But I want you to imagine being spoken directly to you. J.B. Phillips in his translations translated these first few words as, Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. You see, some of these words just reach out and grab you, and if it hasn't grabbed you yet, when I emphasize them, I think it will. For instance, the word foolish. He doesn't really say, well, you just didn't really get it. This is a word meaning somebody who is unintelligent, who is dim-witted, who is stupid, who is an idiot. It's not a nice word. It's not what you want someone to call you. And then he said, who bewitched you? The word bewitched goes back to the evil eye. That's describing a person who wants something you have. And eventually it described a person who wanted you to do what they wanted you to do. And eventually it came to describe someone who had like cast a spell over you. When you visit the Bible lands, in fact all the Middle East, there's a piece of jewelry that you'll see everywhere. It's got a black center, a little lighter blue circle out of that, and then darker blue out of that. It's called the evil eye. And that's what he's describing here. He's describing someone who has allowed himself to be tricked. I don't know about you, but I've been duped a few times in my life. 
And I'm always embarrassed about it. I rarely tell people because I don't want people to think I'm that stupid. Paul, in writing the Galatians, is in verse 1 reaching out and grabbing their attention by saying, Oh, you dear people, how foolish and how stupid you have been. Not very complimentary. Now the reason is, is because God has provided a means of good news of justification and they're leaving it. They were ignoring the obvious evidence. Jesus had been shown as crucified for them. Well, we could spend a lot of time about talking about that, and particularly as Paul had just in a few verses before in chapter 2 and verse 20 saying that he was crucified with Christ. Paul had preached that. They had received the Spirit. In fact, if you drop down to verse 5, he said, Therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The miracles that they observed, they saw them at the hands of those who had the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. They could look at Paul, they could look at Barnabas, they could look at Silas, and they could listen to them and see them. You know, Mark 16, verses 17 through 20, talked about the signs that accompanied those who believed. The miracles that they performed. They were rejecting what they could actually see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Now I ask you, what's the definition of stupidity? That's doing the same thing and expecting different results. Sometimes we see people going down the same bad pathway and you say, you expect to get different results this time? For the Galatians, many of them were abandoning Jesus Christ and the salvation that was derived through him the justification of faith to go back and live under the law. And Paul's trying to tell them, I can't believe somebody tricked you that badly. Now with that in mind, here's what we want to do in our lesson this morning. We want to look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9 will point out how God had a plan to bring this about in Abraham. Then you will begin with verses 10 through 18 and look at the promise specifically made to Abraham and how that found its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That will raise a question in their minds. Well, why then did God give the law anyway? What was the purpose of it? And then finally to realize that the prize we enjoy is in Christ. Let's begin with verses 6 through 9. Brother Randy read those for us just a few moments ago, but let's put them back before us again. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of the faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture 
foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, now listen carefully here, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, And you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. I don't think anybody would deny that Abraham's a central figure in the Bible. If you start looking at the Old Testament, the children of Israel, they would look back to Moses as the lawgiver, but as far as their ancestor, they would look back to Abraham. In fact, in John chapter 8, as Jesus is arguing with the Jews there in Jerusalem, They said to him, Abraham is our father. That's who they would go back and look to. What he symbolized in God's eyes was a man of faith. A man who trusted God in everything that he did. In Romans 4, 20 and 21 we read, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. He believed that anything that God told him, God could bring it to pass. And when you go to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 19, and I'm not going to go through all the details there, I will tell you that what he saw in Abraham was, he said, Abraham, I want you to get up and to go to a place that you will after receive for an inheritance. And he got up not knowing where he was going. He also said to Abraham, the land in which you dwell is not really the ultimate promised land. And so what he did, he waited for a city whose foundations and whose builder and maker was God. And also... You go on and read in verses 16 and following there, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. The reason was that he believed that whatever promise God made him, God could and would fulfill it. He was a man of faith. But the text says the good news was preached to Abraham. The gospel was preached to him. And I know some of you might be scratching your head and thinking, I thought the gospel came with Jesus Christ. It did. I thought the gospel was the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ultimate salvation of man. It is. How then was the gospel preached to Abraham? He said, because he said, In you, all the nations will be blessed. That included the Gentiles. That means that every nation under heaven was going to be blessed by the giving of Jesus Christ. In Genesis 15, in verse 5, he tells Abraham to look up and he says, What do you see? And he says, Count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said, So shall your descendants be. You're going to have more descendants than you'll be able to count. God's plan was to save man just like Abraham. As a man of faith, Romans chapter 4, verse 11, 
And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised. What he is looking at in saying Abraham would be the father of everybody who would believe. That would be the Jews, but it also was to the Gentiles. Verse 13, for the promise that he would be an heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promises of no effect. He said if God's promises took place through the Old Testament law, then there's a problem. Because that eliminates a large group of people, particularly the Gentiles. If you're studying the book of Galatians, and you realize this letter was written to the churches of Galatia, to Antioch, Iconium, to Lystra, Derby, and those round about. You realize there's a large Gentile population here. Many of these Gentiles have become Christians. And their salvation depended upon this. Verse 16, But also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So God made a promise to Abraham. Verses 10 through 18 is going to take that promise and it's going to focus it right here in front of us. For as many as are under the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law is evident, and the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become the curse for us, or as it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet after it is confirmed, no one annuls it or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but of one, and your seed who is Christ. Now, I want to stop here at this point because I want to point out that God had a plan. And that plan was to save man through faith but it was ultimately wrapped up in one person. Verse 18 again. I say not to his seeds as many, but to his seed as of one, and that seed who is Christ. The promise made to Abraham look forward all the way to the coming of Christ who's going to be the source of that promise that he was making. Why can't justification be made through the law? The law came along too late. 
The law can't change things. You see, if you were going to find salvation in the law, there's a problem because everybody had to continue in all the things that are written in the book of the law and keep them. In other words, I couldn't have made one mistake, committed one sin. Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law, and all the people shall say amen. Notice the emphasis on the word all. Just like James 2.10, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. What that means is when you open that Old Testament law and there was all those rules, all those regulations, all those laws, if I didn't keep them perfectly, then I somehow was not right with God. The second reason is because no one can alter or modify a covenant after it's been confirmed. And so the law, coming 430 years later, did not annul or change the promise that God made to Abraham. God had a plan. God made a promise. Now there's a question that's going to come up. What was the purpose of law anyway? Why did God provide Moses and the Old Testament law if everything was wrapped up in Abraham and was wrapped up in the promise made to him. Let's look at verses 19 through 25. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now the mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law that could have given life truly, the righteousness would have been, could have been by the law. But the scriptures confined all under sin that the promise of faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law kept for faith, which afterward would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. If the promise of God to Abraham and the plan intended by God culminate in it, why have the law of Moses? That's, that's the ultimate question Well, he said it was added because of transgressions. When you look back at the promise of God, you see the promise made and the benefits to be enjoyed. But in between them, man became very sinful. And God saw that there was a need to regulate their behavior, to tell them what was right versus what was wrong. Let me illustrate it like this. What if everybody drove at a safe speed? And what if everybody was nice enough that when you came to an intersection, you allowed the person on the other side to go first? Would you need any speed laws? Would you need any other kind of laws? No, you wouldn't need them because everything would be safe. But you see, after man created vehicles 
that could go very fast, they said, you know, we've got to be able to regulate this for safety's sake. After the promise was made to Abraham, people began to live in a way contrary to God, and so God provided the Old Testament as a means of saying this is right and this is wrong and this is the way you ought to live. It also was a tutor or schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, to give us some guidance, some direction, some instruction, if you will. But when Christ came, He's our all in all. He's the fulfillment of the promise, and His law provides us all the guidance and all the direction that we need. Okay, that's going to bring me to the third part of this, or fourth part of this lesson, and that is the prize. Verses 26 through 29 are very, very important. In fact, if you've been sort of tuned out of the lesson up until now, I want you to focus with me for just a few minutes. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you're of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, you go all the way back to Abraham and you see that there was a promise made and there are heirs to it. They're the ones who are going to enjoy the benefits of what God has promised. Well, who are these people? And when do they get the prize? When do they get the inheritance? Well, he talks about two steps that are involved in becoming the children of God. That doesn't mean that this is all that's a part of God's plan, but these are two that are significant, that stand out. The first one is very plain. He said, for you are all sons of God through faith. That's the means by which you get there. I want you to listen to John 1 in verse 12. But as many as received him, to them... He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. He gave them the right to become. Not that they were, but that's the way that you become a child of God is through faith. Just like Abraham, believing and trusting what God has said, particularly in the promises. But he follows that up by saying, that you must be baptized. For everyone who has been baptized into Christ has put on Christ. When Jesus met with Nicodemus that night in John chapter 3, the first thing he told him was, is most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was greatly confused by the Lord's terms born again. So Jesus explains in verse 5, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
what is being said is, is that this is the step that you take that puts you in God's kingdom. Oh, you could study that in so many other passages. Do you remember Acts 2 when they cried out, Men and brethren, what must we do? Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. They that gladly received His word were baptized and the Lord added in that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 47, Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. It's a step in God's plan. And it's available to all. He said there is neither Jew nor Greek. Your ethnicity does not matter. There's neither bond nor free. Your financial state doesn't matter. There's neither male nor female. Your gender doesn't matter. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You think about the grandeur of that promise and the prize that is enjoyed. The good news is that you can be justified. You can be made right with God. I started out with the emphasis on the fact that sometimes conflict exists and it's awful. But what if you have a mother and a father and a son or a daughter and there's conflict there? And everything can be made right. What if there's a brother or sister and they're at odds with one another and someone can make things right? Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is able to take God the Father and us and mediate between us and bring about peace. God planned it on the basis of faith so that when you and I approach the books of the Bible, we read about Jesus and we understand who He was, what He did, how He lived, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in His name. That's what we're in pursuit of. Now some of you have been following along with this And I know that there's thoughts in your mind. Is it now time for me to be baptized? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I'm I'm sorry for those things that I've done sinfully in my life. But is it time, is it the place for me to be baptized now? I want to use an example from Scripture from Acts chapter 8, verses 36 through 38. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And then Philip said to him, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he said, I believe that Jesus 
Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Are you ready this morning to be baptized? Are you ready to make a decision like the eunuch was? You can be justified by faith because of the promise that God made through Abraham and the plan that he worked out and enjoy the prize of eternal life. If you need to obey the gospel or to have the prayers of the congregation, we invite you to come as together we stand and sing.